Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. William Dietrich is the interim director of the Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville, and we welcome him back. Well, let's talk about uh, a new agreement with Texas A&M, part of the information you'll find in their monthly newsletter over at the port, uh, Port Matters. So how you doing, Chief? Good to talk to you again. Uh, doing good, Sergio. How are you today? Good, sir. So A&M, it's in the news. So what's going on with Texas A&M in the port? Well, on Thursday, February 8th, the Texas A&M system approved the building of a $30 million advanced manufacturing facility here at the Port of Brownsville. This proposed project will reside on 22 acres here at the port and will be paid for out of funding from the Permanent University Fund. And we'll have both classroom and labs uh, to provide hands-on training uh, hands-on instruction. This facility will provide training in manufacturing fundamentals and advanced skills such as megatronics, computer numeric controls, robotics, and 3D printing, hmm. and much more. Very nice. Um, the goal of the South Texas uh, Workforce Development Project is to develop the technical workforce in demand for jobs while stimulating state-of-the-art sustainable practices and advancement in manufacturing through the research and innovation. This is definitely a big deal for the Port of Brownsville as we move ahead. We're very excited about this. Yes, sir. And with thousands of jobs being created right now, different skill sets, though, that we know um, right now they're in construction yes, you know, over at you know, Bechtel trying to hire thousands of people. I think they need to, uh, as you told us last, uh, they've hired almost 1,000. They need to hire about 4,000 more, construct that LNG facility. And then we have steel nearby, and then we got welders and steel cutters nearby over there with the ship breaking. So, can the new Texas A&M facility, I know it deals with a lot of high-tech and engineering, can they help with some of the other skill sets that are needed for the thousands of jobs that are at the port? You know, absolutely. You know, they will come down, they'll do a needs assessment, and they'll be able to see exactly what is needed, uh, which leads me to another point. You and I have been talking about a, a number, about 30 35% of local people taking advantage of these jobs. I had a meeting with Bechtel the other day, and they actually gave me an exact number of how many people at the current work site right now are from the Rio Grande Valley, and it's 73%. Excellent. That's an amazing number. That's something we should that be very excellent. proud of. Yeah. Uh, I hope that they can keep the pace. Yeah. At, at about 1,000 people that they've hired already to have over 70% local, that's good. You think they can keep that ratio going with the other 4,000 they need to hire before the end of the year? What do you think? You know, Sergio, they were very optimistic. I asked that specific question, and they said, yes, they're very optimistic that they are starting to see the local the, the local talent really start showing up for these jobs. And when they're talking local talent, we're talking about people within 100 miles of the work site. And they were pleased to say that as this moves forward, this should, be, this should remain close to that number. Let's go back to the Texas A&M Center. Uh, William Dietrich is the interim port director of Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville, $30 million center, education center. 
Texas A&M committed to the ground. So when do we see dirt fly for this thing, and when do you think it would be up and running for all the high-tech um, training that you had mentioned earlier? Well, you know, I don't know exactly when they're going to start turning dirt, but I can tell you this is that we're ready. All the agreements are in place. The land has already been leased. The funding has already been provided. Now, uh, the wheels in the in the government system take a little longer than usual, but let's hope this, this comes up pretty quick. Tell me, give me an update on the industrial park um, you guys are working on there at the port. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Sergio. Um, last Wednesday on February 7th, the Brownsville Navigation District Board of Commissioners approved the leasing rates for the 118-acre business park located here at the Port of Brownsville. These rates, we have to understand that these rates are aimed at attracting sustainable, high-quality companies to the port. And we are happy right now that we're in the beginning stages of, of negotiating with one of the first companies that are going to come in on a 14-acre lot. So uh, it seems to be that we've hit the right spot when it, as it relates to the rates, uh, our location, and it is um, with subsequent uh, individuals come in looking or companies looking to uh, relocate here. They've looked and said that is a very attractive site for them, and it looks like we have pretty, uh, quite a bit of leads moving forward. Is all the infrastructure already set for that industrial park, all the pipes and electricity and all that, or, or are you folks still working on that? We are currently working on that right now. We should be completed by, should be completed by mid-May. You got some tenants committed already to that, to that land, people that have signed the, uh, the contract and go ahead and set up shop? Have not signed a contract yet, but we're very close, Sergio. We should be. Maybe the next time we talk, I should have more news on that, and it's uh, it looks very promising. Okay. At this time. Of of the the folks that you're recruiting or maybe calling you to set up shop, do they complement LNG? Do they complement the steel operations nearby? What what are what are they a complement to? Would you be able to say? Actually, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's going to be no relation to. It's not going to be a complementary industry to LNG. This is something totally different. Okay. It's going to be like a wheat processing flour plant that they're going to take advantage of for the close proximity to the port to take advantage of shipping in and shipping out uh, this type of product. How close to the water is this industrial park? Uh, I, I would say less than 1,000 feet. Okay, but not at the port where they can park a ship and then off-board, on-board, directly to warehousing, or is it? It's, it's close enough to say that, yes, you, you, okay. you can. Okay, the trucks, distance is not that significant. A few trucks, a few long beds, and you got business uh, back and forth. William Dietrich is the interim port director of our Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville. And another note that you'll find in their monthly newsletter from the port, um, we got some ag commodities making news. So what's going on with sugar uh, there at the port? Well, Schaefer Stevedoring brought in 18,000 tons of sugar this month. So that's a pretty... That's a pretty hefty load. That's pretty good. That says a lot uh, for our local businesses, and it shows that uh, the Port of Brownsville is is, is definitely going to be used for that as we move on. Uh, we are getting a lot of insight and a lot of uh, inquiry from Mexico right now from the tourist industry down in Quintana Roo, Cancun area, mm -hmm. that are looking at um, you know making uh, weekly trips up to the Port of Brownsville to gather some of the food commodities and all that that's going to need it to sustain the uh, the uh, vacation industry and the tourist industry down there. Okay, that's interesting. Well, what have you heard from the board? Well, what's going on as far as perhaps you keeping this gig full-time, Willie, 
as port director at the Port of Browns. Do you want the gig, or are you going to wait for somebody else to uh, come in uh, to lead in the near future? Oh, you know, I definitely want the gig, but sometimes uh, decisions are not at your pay grade. You yeah. know, I haven't asked much about it, but uh, I could say this. There's been no complaints, and, in, you know, we'll see what happens. Okay, amigo. I look forward to speaking with you in a few weeks and hoping for some good breaking news. Maybe we get some other uh, industry we can announce here pretty soon. Thank you, Will. Thank you very much, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Will, William Dietrich is the interim port director for our Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. We're bringing back our water advocate for South Texas, Sunny Inahosa, one of our former irrigation district managers for the Rio Grande Valley. I know recently... Folks at International Boundary Water Commission gave us an update on that five-year cycle of water deliveries, storage at the dams, all that. Sonny, I know you had a chance to go through the report real quick. Is there any glimmer of hope in that report that maybe things are improving on the Mexican side? Maybe they're going to deliver a little more. What are you hearing? What do you see, Sonny? Well, good morning, Sergio. Uh, Unfortunately, there's no good news. Uh, you know, IBWC had a stakeholder meeting last Thursday. They had several presentations. And really nothing indicates that things are getting any better. Uh, the data they provided, you know, reflects uh, that the basin is in a dry condition. Uh, Mexico, of course, is utilizing the water that they have. And, and in fact, they're... They're, they're transferring quite a bit of water from Amistad down to Falcon to get ready for their irrigation season down here in Tamaulipas. So, you know, as we previously discussed, there was a proposed minute to the treaty that was going to, you know, uh, it was going to provide a vehicle that Mexico could utilize if they wanted to, to transfer water to the United States, water and storage, or assign any part of their two-thirds flow from their tributaries to the U.S., uh, that minute was supposed to have been executed before the end of, of 2023, and it did not happen. Uh, Tamaulipas um, was against it, and they blocked that minute from being executed. Of course, it was going to be their water that was going to be used. So, I, I, you know, I think there's still hope by the IBWC that, that it does get executed, but you know, in the meantime. Uh, they're proceeding with their irrigation plans, yeah. um, and and there's there's really nothing positive on our end 
that we could get some water. Uh, in fact, it was just the opposite. We we learned that uh, one of the tent stalks at Amistad, uh, those are the the inlets that that uh, go through the dam and and feed the the power generation. That one of our gates is inoperable. So you know we have a dead storage at, at the figure of 4,600 acre feet that the water master uses on a monthly basis of water that's below the lowermost outlet. And that figure, since since our gate is inoperable, the Mexico penstock gate is, is a little higher. So we'll be utilizing Mexico's penstock, which increases our dead storage. So we're losing the opportunity to use just a little less than 14,000 acre feet. Uh, you know, in addition to uh, the other 4,600 acre feet that that we normally deduct that we can't use. Where are you we? know, and it wasn't that long ago. I think it was last September that you know we got the results of the sedimentation survey, the bathymetric survey. Yeah. And the U.S. lost you know about 16,000 acre feet. Of course, we say lose. They, they like they explain you're not losing something that wasn't there, <laughs> but we thought we had that storage and we and we didn't. So, you know, both of those issues, the bathymetric survey results and, and now the penstock being inoperable, we're shy of, you know, 30,000 acre feet that we, wow. we thought we had. Where are we right now as far as levels? What's the official number, Sonny? Uh, U.S. ownership at, at the reservoirs is, you know, 21.87%, which is 738,000 acre feet. And uh, w- once again, you know, we, we take the the 225,000 domestic municipal industrial reserve that's taken out first and foremost, and now our dead storage has increased plus the 75,000 acre foot uh, operational reserve. So once again, you know, irrigation is left with with just uh, the the difference of that, which is probably you know, around 400,000 acre feet. Sonny Inahosa, our water advocate, joining us. Sonny Tim Sullivan here. So when was the most recent water delivery from Mexico to the U.S.? There's there's constant flow. Uh, there's not an effort uh, of releasing any water f- from Mexico. Uh, it's just whatever falls below their lowermost dam on the, on the six tributaries, we get one-third of those flows. And, you know, Commissioner Hiner, uh she's just phenomenal to work with. She has provided us more data than any other commissioner that I could ever recall. And I've been doing this for, what, 36 years? And, and she has just given us so much data on on the pre-1944 conditions, the post-44 conditions, the previous 70 years, you know, the past 30 years, so we can see kind of like the decline in, in inflows. Uh, but it was never the intention of Mexico to have to release water from their reservoirs to meet treaty compliance. It, it was just the naturalized flows that occur below their lowermost reservoirs. That's what we get one-third of. Okay, so there, so, there hasn't been a single major treaty-required water li- delivery by Mexico in, in some time. No, sir. Yeah. The last time that, that we got a good slug was that one event in August of 2022, okay. uh, just a little rain event that brought us some water into our storage 
you know, on the Mexican side and also from the Texas tributaries as well. And how much does Mexico own now, then, uh, according to the treaty? Yeah, they're they're behind 768,000 acre feet. And, and they've got, a, what, a year and a half, a little better than a year and a half to comply. So they're going to be this counting on a five-year cycle, a right? System. Yes, sir, on the okay. five-year cycle that, that ends, you know, October 25th of 2025. Okay. So, like I said, there's no intent to release any water. Yeah, and and right they have 1.5 million acre feet in storage in those six tributaries. But I'm sure they, they plan to utilize that water for their for their needs. When it comes to, let me ask you this, Sonny. When it comes to alternative water sources, uh, alternatives to Mother Nature, what's the most appealing to you? Like one large desalination plant, several small desal plants? What other options are out there? We have we have a lot of groundwater, but it is brackish, and uh, it's it's costly uh, to treat it. But you know, sometime in the future, we will. And I don't know how how far away that would be, but it, it, if if that ever occurs where we have to use groundwater for for irrigation needs, it would change our crop mix because what we grow. Hmm. can't support that cost. Sonny Inahosa, our water advocate for South Texas, one of our former irrigation district directors in the area, speaking with local friends who are in agriculture, one who comes to mind right now. The Much like looking at the fuel gauge on your vehicle when the light turns on that you're low or you're out of gas, we keep hearing little reports every now and then of more districts that are out of water, just out of water, like West Texas, other places. Uh, what comes to mind as far as the most recent news of some districts that are in, in math on the books, uh, based on the levels, based on the use, they're out of water right now, and I guess more will be coming here pretty soon. Exactly, you're exactly correct. You know, the the weather pattern has changed. Uh, you know, it wasn't, but you know, six weeks ago the forecast was for an above normal uh, rainfall yeah. <laughs> period uh, through the rest of the the spring. Now, uh, NOAA has forecast that we're going to get back to equal chance uh, by spring and then enter into a La Nina cycle by the fall. So that's not promising as far as any relief uh, from Mother Nature. So, uh, like I've stated before, we're just going to have to... St- and and you, you're talking about irrigation districts, you know, of, of the 24 irrigation districts we have, we only have about 21% of what we could have. And and only two districts have better than 50% of, of their of their balance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yes, every month we're probably going to see some drop off that they just quit delivering mm-hmm. water. Yeah. Currently, we just have the three here in the valley and, and the one in, in the Eagle Pass area mm-hmm. that, that ceased delivering irrigation water just simply because they don't have it. And what's What's gonna What's gonna be real important is when one of these districts that supplies a municipality when they can't deliver, then things are gonna get bad. And 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 if we wait until that happens, it's gonna be too late because it, it you can't you can't correct anything that quickly, not yeah. with water. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, Sonny. Just praying for rain. Thanks for the update. 
one of our former irrigation district managers for South Texas, and we refer to him now as our water advocate for the Valley. It's Sonny Inojosa. Only News Talk Station, News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Our Mayor John Cowan checking in. Mayor for Brownsville, Texas. Boca Chica nearby, we could call it Starbase. Mayor, let me start there. You a fan of that? Call. Boca Chica star base? What do you think? Well, it's something that, you know, is exciting. I think it helps drive more recognition to the region, and I think it's a, it'll be a good thing. All right, sir. Hey, let's start with some of the metrics I know you take a look at from time to time. Everything from retail, construction, permits, all those things. Anything you want to shine a light on right now? I'm sure. I think for Brownsville, commercial is really driving the growth. Locally, we're up about 58% when it comes to commercial permit values over last year at the same time. So I think the number of permits also have gone up about 27%. So a lot of construction projects in the commercial residential is still going strong as well. So, you know, we face a shortage in all uh, housing types from affordable to middle to upper income levels. So I think there's a lot of opportunity all across the board here. The prospect of those numbers going further north, really good right now. Of course, we keep hearing from our family over at the Port of Brownsville that they need to fill another 4,000 jobs at Bechtel by the end of this year alone, constructing that massive liquefied natural gas facility out there, which we circle back to City Hall, and that puts you and Helen, our city manager, everybody else up against the wall on infrastructure demands. you got more apartments, more homes, more businesses setting up shop in Boomtown, USA, taking place right now, more pipe, more sewer, more streets, more services, things like that. So from your perspective, tell me about maybe the, the new challenges you're facing for 2024 and the growth of Brownsville. Yeah, I think you, I agree. There's there's definitely some pain points and we're trying to get ahead of. We have about 800 miles of, of streets here in Brownsville and a lot of deferred maintenance across the board, right? And I think we're trying to be strategic in the roads that we're completely re, uh, reconstructing versus widening versus uh, mill and overlay. So it's uh, we're dedicated a big... We're dedicating a big part of our budget towards having our infrastructure and improving it. And I think one of the things that the city commission is looking at is implementing a uh, capital recovery fee to help accelerate the uh, expansion and improvement of our existing roadways to accommodate this growth. That's something that we're currently in the public comment period. But I think everyone realizes, including developers, that it is important for the city to have the resources to be able to improve our infrastructure so that we can bring in more development here. The capital recovery fee idea, that would be for areas that are being developed, new construction. Again, it's in, it's, it's in the conversation phase, which is one of several conversations taking place. I, I suppose to see the list of when the next conversation will take place on the potential capital recovery fee for new developments in the area. Plus, the other one we've been talking to Helen, our city manager, uh, quite a bit on uh, of late, unifying the 
unifying the economic development um, portion, the, the two entities into one, fuse those two into one, those are also generating some conversations in the area. Uh, what, just visit the City Hall website to see when all that is taking place or what? This item's going to be on the May ballot for the voters to decide whether to essentially dissolve the two economic development agencies and create one one agency that will, it's called a municipal development district, and we'll, we'll be able to not only get the sales tax revenue from the city limits, but also from the ETJ. That, that's, the, that's the differentiator here. Currently, we do not get the sales tax revenue from the ETJ. That If we, if we move forward with this in May, um, that'll help generate an extra $500,000 a year going forward. And our ETJ is booming as well. So I think, um, you know, it's a great time to, to make this move and really streamline our economic development efforts. And um, the idea is we would keep both, both staffs of both organizations and just have one board. So it's really, in my opinion, just an administrative issue, but we'll be able to, to basically supercharge the entity by, by getting that additional revenue and accelerate improvements in, in our quality of lives and also for economic development and incentives efforts. Our guest at the moment, John Cowan, is our mayor for Brownsville. Yeah, Mayor Tim Sullivan here. And just for, I guess, clarification, information purposes, will this municipal development district, can that help with what you're talking about in terms of trying to relieve uh, uh, this housing shortage? Can it, can you, will you be able to use the areas that you're going to be developing outside the city limits to grow more of Brownsville and, and house you know, all of the people that are going to be uh, swarming into the city trying to, trying to find work, trying to find housing. I think, the, you know, the, the income stream that, that's going to be collected from this, uh, for this entity is, you know, it's still restricted in the uses, you know, by the state, right? So it, it needs to be used uh, either to create, you know, property tax growth, investment, job creation, and quality of life. So I think the mm-hmm. projects need to be well-defined. I believe we can invest in infrastructure, but it needs to be tailored to a specific purpose, right? And so I do think that there is potential to do that. One project I was thinking that you could press the reset button on and repurpose would be perhaps revisit an aggressive um, marketing and an aggressive recruitment of anything that complements aerospace, anything that complements rocket development and life systems, all those things. You know, the, the promise from years back when we were fresh out of the, out of the chute and we're looking at maybe looking at something like that. Do you think that is something that we need to revisit, Mayor? Well, I think it's it's definitely an opportunity. You know, I obviously with SpaceX here. You know, I I was fortunate to be at. They had a supplier conference about a year ago, and there were, I think, about 70, 70 suppliers that currently supply product to SpaceX from all over the country, right? And I think once SpaceX ramps up production. I mean, you know, they want to eventually be able to make, you know, one Starship a week, right? They're going to need the volume and the, the flow through of, of from their supplier base. And it would really benefit them to have those suppliers here locally, right? And so I think that's a big reason why I'm pushing to get this um, this business park developed on, on the north side to be able to have, you know, the industrial space and, and possibly some spec buildings ready when they're when they're ready to scale up their their production, and okay. I think that's coming soon. I think that uh, we'll start to move dirt on that business park, hopefully in the first quarter of this year. I think that's the idea. So you know, I think you know, as as Brownsville's about ninety nine percent occupied from an industrial perspective, we really need 
you know, to be ready for this next growth period from SpaceX. So it's it's imperative that we're we don't miss the ball there. Sure. Tell me a bit more about this idea, this new industrial park uh, on the north side, north side of where? Can you describe where it is? And and because I know the so, port, the port is working on their own industrial park. Sure. I think um, it, they they really complement each other. You know, the GBIC currently owns about 729 acres of land near it's currently 511 and Predis Line Road on the southwest corner. So it's a it's a big track. So the 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 park would be developed in in phases. I think at least four phases. And there's rail access. It's you know nice. Nice. 511 will will become I-169. So that that it that it is it is an interstate corridor that connects the port with our um, I-69 corridor as well. So I think it's a prime location for for industrial growth and also differentiates from the port where I think a lot a lot of heavy industrial will will be able to go out there. Whereas the GBIC Park's more tailored to light industrial, and so, and also at the port, they don't necessarily sell property. It's all on a lease basis, right? So I think, depending on the development model, um, some people w- might want to own the land r- rather than lease the land as well. So that, that's that's how we can complement each other. Man, I'm re- I'm reminded of what um, John Sharp John Sharp had been saying. Greg Abbott, the same thing. Uh, you had uh, the comptroller in town a few days back as well talking about it, it's like they're pointing to the valley they're putting to our area the future of Texas we're one of the main drivers one of the areas uh, to look at as far as the future of Texas right here LNG aerospace and then all the business parks that complement and feed into that and, and other industry that are quickly on the way tell me a, a bit about uh, uh, Mr. Hagar or, or comptroller what he had to say looking at the Texas economy and then of course the future for us as well yeah, I mean, I think he he was here basically to to, to tell the story of uh, the success of Texas and the. I mean, they we are as a state leading the, the country when it comes to business uh, growth and relocations and and you know we are I think the as he said the the eighth largest economy in the world um, and just continuing to move up the ranks there so that the story is is uh, is strong but we do have uh, some challenges right and when it comes to to growth, um, I think you know wa- water is going to be a big issue for us as a state, and especially here uh, locally as well as we grow. Um, and obviously, workforce training, uh, our education needs to continue to improve, um, and then infrastructure. So uh, we have aging infrastructure, but we also need to expand our infrastructure to be able to accommodate this growth. And I think you're starting to see that those investments uh, at the MPO level, um, you know. We're investing billions of dollars in the in, in, in over the next ten years in the valley, and I think that'll that'll have compounding effects. Uh, you know, and there's there's also federal investment in our bridges, our international bridges, that will also help the flow of traffic as well. So I think uh, the valley is really prime to to be the next uh, boom area for the state of Texas. Yes, sir. And you know, you know, talk in talking regionally, you know, including our Mexican partners, um, I think there's you know about 2.8 million people. In, if you combine the U.S. side and Mexican side in the valley, right? So I think that's if you just look at that, that's just that's an enormous opportunity. Um, to you know, we have so many resources to be able to leverage and 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 uh, and capitalize on the future together. Yeah, and it's more than just for the seat that's going to the mall to, to buy smoothies and, and nice clothing. We're talking about manufacturing <laughs> capability with the maquilas in Matamoros, with the yeah, maquilas in Reynosa. 
and, and that potential right. as well in logistics on our side. Mayor, continued success. Thank you for your time. And congratulations on that Texas A&M announcement recently at a $30 million training center over at the port that I yes, sir. suspect will fold in real nicely with uh, education efforts to try to meet the demand of industry. We'll talk soon, Mayor. Take care. John Cowan, our you, mayor sir. in Brownsville. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Dan Silva is the leader of the Real Grand Valley Partnership, the Valley Chamber, and the mission over at the partnership is to unite the RGV. Had a recent conversation about this update, and Dan, welcome back to the program. I know you had a, an event this week talking a bit about that, so share some of the, the conversation with us. Good morning, sir, Jerry. Yes, sir. Uh, we had a press conference on Monday to talk about an event that took place about a week and a half ago. Um, in Dallas, it's the International Council of Shopping Centers. They put together a uh, a retail trade show, and we took uh, a booth and we had a display there. It was a 10 by 20 space for all the cities uh, across the valley to be able to use it as a landing spot somewhere for them to call home so they could have meetings. Um, we had tables set up and chairs, and they were able to schedule times and um, and bring their prospects. So this conference is designed to uh, give EDCs and communities the opportunity to get in front of retailers and restaurants to try to entice them to come to their community. Mm. Having that presence on the floor, you think, will make a difference in getting some more of these companies, businesses to set up in South Texas, or are people calling already as a result? Yeah, I definitely think that it's going to help. You know, So International Con- the ICSB Conference takes place in two locations, one in Las Vegas and one in Dallas. The Dallas uh, one, which focuses on on the Texas market and those who attend are familiar with the Texas market. The, the importance of coming together as a region is that, you know, people are familiar with the, the bigger metros. So, you know, that's where they have their site set, but to have a booth to represent the 1.4 million people from the Rio Grande Valley, uh, it definitely does have a, a larger presence. Uh, those who are chains, those who look at the opening two to three um, different stores in a market will look at the, South Texas and say, well, this is a place that we can move into. And we've started to see a lot of communication, a lot more re- national retailers that are looking at our region because yeah. they're realizing there's a lot of buying power. Yeah. Are we getting the attention of these people because of the changes in the economy? Well, all this industry coming down here, of course, Elon Musk, he'll put us on a map when he fires rockets and the expansion and amazing stuff that's taking place in aerospace, LNG, the port, all those things. Are they... And people moving to Texas and, and moving to the Valley are, are these agencies and and representatives for, for retail, they're waking up to yeah, the Rio Grande Valley, the potential? 
Yes, all of the, that is having a positive impact on, on, on the region. I mean, it's putting us on the map. It's having people understand who we are. They're starting to see these yeah. names look to our region. So they want to come and they want to support them. Okay. They want to you know, be closer to that development. Do they see us as an international market? You know, for the longest time we've been talking about, yeah, this is more than a million and a half. There's about three million people, Matamoros, Reynosa, and of course, bring in Monterrey, which is only a couple of hours away, and all these fresitas coming over. Do they see us as a region of potential shoppers, or do they, they just do they just focus on the U.S. metrics? Well, based on the demographics and, and what their normal site selectors look at, they're, they're still looking at information from the U.S. side. Okay. But based on our narrative and what all of the cities are doing to to promote and show, look at the dollars that we have that are being spent. Look at our, our sales tax collection. I mean, we talk about that every time that we're, we're on the show, and you know, it's double-digit increases. So that buying power is coming from somewhere. So they are starting to understand it, and uh, and they're starting to adjust, and, and that's why we're starting to see more uh, more national retail looking in our direction. On behalf of the Rio Grande Valley Partnership, Director Dan Silva. Yeah, Dan, Tim Sullivan here. And again, what uh, more specific, what kind of companies, businesses were you hoping to gain the attention of? Good morning, Tim. So this, this forum is designed, like I said, for retail and restaurants. Retailers. So what we're hoping to attract is more national-based restaurants and retail. Um, and I remember 20 years ago trying to reach out to, to Costco, and, and they said, well, we're not looking at, at anything south of San Antonio. I know we're trying to get in Ikea. It's those type of retailers that we're trying to bring into our area. But, wow. You know, when, Panda, when P.F. Chang's and, um, and Panda were looking at, at our market, they said, well, it's maybe a two- to three-store market. Hmm. Panda hmm. Express now has one hmm. in every major city. I mean, so that's the type of awareness that we're trying to bring to them. We're trying to show them we have a, an available workforce. We have a lot of available, available land, and our sales tax is growing tremendously. So, I mean, there's a market for it. Yeah. Um, so when, when these folks stopped by your booth, you know, what did they see? What were they presented with? So it was great to see them stop by. Um, so we saw it on two different sides. We saw local EDCs be able to bring their, their meetings to our booth, schedule time, so that way they had a place. They looked more, more bona fide. You know, look more put together. We have a, a regional representation, so that was a great uh, a great visual. But also, when the companies stop by and they start to look at our demographics and, and the data that we are providing them, they realized, well, there's life south of San Antonio, <laughs> and they started looking at you know, well, this is a great span of a region. It doesn't take a long time to get from Brownsville to to Mission or to you know to to Rio Grande City this is a market that we can look at. So we started to have a lot more inquiries. We've had some telephone calls come in, and a lot of EDCs had, had really good meetings there. Did any of them you know, actually commit to coming down here to take a first-hand look? From what I heard from the EDCs, we, we had a handful of commitments. And so the ICSA conference is designed in two ways. One, it can be a um, you're working on the project throughout the year, and they it culminates with, let's meet at ICSC so we can get the final details. Or... It's a conversation starter. So it's a mixture. And, and a lot of deals don't happen just in one sitting. You know, a lot of times, as you all know, with these projects, it takes a year, a year and a half to get them get them going. We have some people who two years ago looked at the market, and now they're coming back. So we see a good mix. But, yes, yeah, some of the EDCs have reported that they were able to close deals and that they've moved some deals, some projects forward. Dan Silva, <laughs> he's, he's the leader of the Rio Grande Valley Partnership. Uh, let's focus on something else. That would bring in a lot of cash, a lot of big paychecks. That would be manufacturing, 
Now, we are you know, just a few days removed from you know, McAllen losing out to a major project, big manufacturer, all these chips that were supposed to come here. And anyway, uh, we're not going to delve into that too much, and it's, it's, it's sad news. But the economic development efforts of very successful offices like McAllen and Brownsville, Harlingen, Edinburgh, Mission, all these offices, there's so much potential. And I know that the Valley Partnership, your office, you're trying really hard to unify this area into one region, one voice. Give me a status report. What, what more can we do, should we be doing right now, to come together, and more than just the marketing effort, but also on the recruitment effort, powerful industries, like the colleagues and friends of Elon Musk and all these LNG people and manufacturers, the potential to, to seize big industry to show the real number of employees that are available, the real education pr- pr- uh, potential with the universities and the colleges and the school districts, the turnover, the quick turnover to get people trained, the, the number of, of you know, the, the square footage that's available for warehousing or manufacturing. If you combine all that, it's a, it's a powerful number. I bet you we could probably beat out San Antonio and Houston. We, we need that to land much bigger manufacturing down here. What needs to happen for all, all of us to combine? I know everybody needs to have their own economic development, but I think we, I suspect we could do a lot better if we combine the effort no, for you- recruitment. You're completely right, and we we locally know all that information, and, and we're trying to tout it as best as possible. But one thing we need to understand is, you know, it's kudos to McAllen and to the other EDCs that worked on that project because you know, now we're starting to get that that level of attention. You know, we had fought for even to get to to get on the map. So kudos to McAllen for even being able to get to that level. It will come. You know, it, it's a process. What we need to do collectively is, as we're out on trade missions, we need to. We need to promote the Rio Grande Valley, the four-county region as a whole. So as COSEP was in India, as McAllen is in Korea, or uh, as each EDC goes out on their trade mission, they need to be representing the Rio Grande Valley because everything that you mentioned is very true. And it will help us beat out these large major metros because we are very unique to have all of these assets in one area within a an hour and a half drive time. It is very appealing. We just need to have those industries understand it. So we will start to see that level of project. It started, you know, for years. I've been in economic development for 20 years, and I mean, those are the big elephants. Those are the big, the, the, the grand slams, and they don't happen often. But now that they're starting to look, and I know McAllen is, you know, they see projects like that a lot. We get we get nixed early because of certain things that, you know, that we just don't have. But as we're starting to come together, what we should do is promote all of those things each and every time we leave. The region. As, as awesome. a region. All right. Well, best of luck, Dan, in trying to herd all our friends and family in economic development, see if we can land something big as one entity, one region, one voice, and uh, keep working hard on the marketing side and give us an update later on. Thank you, Dan. Dan Silva Thank with you. the Real Grand Valley Partnership. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio, just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB.
You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. A local friend of the stations, friends to many, a friend to many of us here in South Texas, Dr. Juan Anciso. He, you know him as being affiliated. He's with AgriLife Extension Services here at Texas A&M. Well, now a new title for him. He's getting um, uh, a promotion. Dr. Juan Anciso, welcome to the program. And I hope it includes a new parking spot for you, maybe closer to the building, and a pay raise. So what do you say, Juan? Well, well good morning. <laughs> yes, it is a, it is a promotion. Uh, there's no uh, new parking spot. It's still the same old parking spot. And, uh, yes, I'm looking forward to, to my new job role. All right. Explain to folks who work non-ag, uh, what is it that you do, have been doing now for decades over at at Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service? Well, I'm a professor and extension vegetable specialist, which basically means I do adult education and research on vegetables, vegetable production, uh, vegetable pest management, and, you know, in the last, uh, I don't know, 15 years on farm food safety. So, uh, you know, trying to find that information, doing research on it, and, of course, educating uh, primarily vegetable growers, but certainly many other adults like gardeners in the area. Okay, so now as the head, the leader of the horticultural program at Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, that's the promotion. You're also going to be the head of the Department of Horticultural Sciences at A&M. What do you do now? Does that mean you, you're no longer going to be in, in the classroom, or what, what happens now? Well, I'll, I'll still be located here in the Rio Grande Valley, but I will have statewide uh, responsibilities for the 20 or so extension uh, horticulturalists across the state. Uh, many of them work in uh, grapes, uh, vineyards, uh, of course, uh, vegetables, and other horticultural crops like uh, uh, landscape and ornamental plants. So uh, I'll be uh, responsible for making sure those programs are you know, meeting the needs of the clientele and, uh, you know, that we're all doing the best that we can in extension horticulture to I- improve uh, people's lives here in Texas. You're one of several folks who would we think of first to call when it comes to opinions, maybe a status report of agriculture in South Texas. Now you've got a, a statewide perspective. So let me ask you this, then yes, what sir. is what is the st- what is the state of Rio Grande Valley agriculture in light of you know, some of these growers not having access to water anymore? Soon more growers not having access to water. The, the levels are so low right now at the, uh, at the watershed. Of course, then you got pests to deal with and things like that. So what would you say is, is the state of agriculture right now? Because we're not getting good forecasts from uh, other national groups well, that are looking at agriculture. That's a very good question, and I will simply answer it that, uh, you know, uh, we know that agriculture here in the Rio Grande Valley is always, I don't want to say tough, but difficult, challenging. Uh, of course, we depend on the Rio Grande River and the reservoirs uh, for irrigation water. And uh, obviously, there's times of drought, there's times of rain. Uh, but I will say this, that, uh, you know, uh, we've been through this. I've been in here as an extension uh, employee since 1989. In the 1990s, it certainly seemed like the end of the world was coming, and it <laughs> may be in some ways it was for certain uh, uh, farmers and, and certain sectors of agriculture, but I still think that um, 
you know, agriculture here is still resilient, still continues to be a mainstay of our economy, whether it's citrus or vegetables or the row crops like cotton, corn and grain sorghum. I, you know, I think there's challenges and, uh, you know, this area is very important agriculturally because of its soils and access to the irrigation water. With taxes growing by leaps and bounds and the economy evolving so quickly, would you encourage some people that perhaps have a passion for this to continue their education into ag sciences, knowing that, for example, here in the Valley, uh, bit by bit, we're getting a bit more metro and more industrial in our mindset and growing by leaps and bounds and, and swallowing up a lot of the agricultural acreage in the area. It seems like we're more, we're, we're definitely no longer an ag economy, you know, compared to when you started many years back. Yes. So you always ask the hard questions. But of course, I will and I tell students this all the time and uh, people looking for careers in agriculture. Uh, you know, basically, if you love it and you know you have a passion for it and uh, you give it all your all in terms of, you know, uh, pursuing that career, I think there's always opportunity in agriculture. It may not be here in the Rio Grande Valley, it may be elsewhere, but people always need to eat. So, you know, I always encourage uh, students that have an interest to do the best that they can, you know, be the, you know, be the, you know, the best in their field. And they, they definitely will have jobs. There are jobs out there. Uh, agriculture is not going away. Uh, so, you know, I really encourage students to, if they have that interest, you know, I came from the city, so I did not come from a farm. I worked on a farm, but I mm-hmm. really lived in the city. So, mm-hmm. you know, I encourage folks even, you know, uh, students that may come from the city or rural areas like the farm, you know, if you really have a deep passion, uh, continue it. I would not uh, discourage someone because, you know, this particular year, the, the, the you know, the, the, the flash of the news is, you know, things are tough. You know, farming has always been tough. Agriculture has always been tough. But we always seem to be the leader uh, here in Texas and in the United States when it comes to certainly food production, food and fiber production. He's referred to as the problem solver for our Texas community when it comes to vegetable crop, producing all the veggies and fruits for us here in South Texas. Been with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service now over two decades and is now the leader of that horticultural program at Texas A&M AgriLife is Dr. Juan Anciso. Dr. Anciso, uh, Tim Sullivan here. You mentioned pests a moment ago. And can you give us a status update on that? What's what's the biggest threat or threats right now, um, and specifically citrus greening disease, as we heard about uh, a few years back? Is that still a thing? Does it still pose a potential existential threat to local ag? So we know uh, the consequences of citrus greening of Florida as our citrus growing neighbor how devastating it's been to that industry. I mean, it's it's really off the charts and devastation to the Florida citrus industry and other parts of the world. So we are concerned. I think we have uh, some things that have helped us. Uh, That might be, you know, that we're mainly on sour orange rootstocks. Uh, It seems not to uh, develop or be as bad on grapefruit relative to oranges. Uh, You know, Florida's an orange-producing state. Um, and I've also growers along with the Texas uh, Pest Management uh, Organization have taken a very proactive approach in 
spraying for the insect that spreads the citrus psyllid. So I say all those factors coming together, not a single factor, but all those factors of aggressively taking on citrus green has really kept the industry uh, in a situation where we're not like Florida mm. or, but, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, you know, there's, you know, many more years to go, but, you know, everything that we've done over the past decade since citrus green was first detected here has been, uh, you know, working. Dr. Juan Anciso with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, now the head of the horticultural program at Texas A&M, also the head of the Department of Horticultural Sciences at the university. And the future for ag is also very interesting. I, I, there's a fascinating potential for Texas A&M to maybe work with closer with NASA or Elon Musk at SpaceX. Because this guy and all these all his fans, they want to go to Mars. And they're going to have to figure out how to grow food on Mars. So, man, I can see a new branch developing over A&M where you guys work in tandem with them and when it comes to life sciences and, and ag sciences that are, you know, away from the planet, you know, using soils that need to be enriched. Well, of course, I, I think that, you know, as human beings, to, you know, unless, you know, we, you know, live in a Star Trek world where we just tell a machine to <laughs> the make replicator. our food, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, I think, you know, I don't know, we'll get to that, that to, to that point, but uh-huh. when it comes to a lot of the things we eat, we need to figure out how to grow them for sure. Well, there you go. The devoted team of researchers at A&M. Okay, you guys make the replicator. Hurry up. We need some food on Mars. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Anciso. Congratulations on your new appointment. That's Dr. Juan Anciso with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710K URV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.